that travel is the sort of side hack to peace building that not a lot of people give it credit for. But travel is one of those things that uh, profits from peace and development. You know, uh, when there are when there's instability, when there are terrorist attacks, that's terrible for tourism. And so, you know, the opposite is, you know, obviously people will invest in security and will invest in building a place that there aren't disgruntled people um, for the sake of having a better tourism economy. And there are all sorts of other knock-on things. You know, it creates all these great jobs at all ends of the economic spectrum, unskilled and skilled, incentivizes people to stay in school and learn different languages and um, redistributes a lot of wealth. Hello, welcome back to I Want to Job, the podcast, and thank you so much for listening. Our guest today is Jillian Morris, the founder of Hitlist, an app that sends you travel listings based on your time, destination, and budget preferences. So if you have a place you want to travel, let's say you want to go to New York or Barcelona, and you have time for the wait to wait for the best deals, the Hitlist app alerts you to travel deals based on the preferences you've set. Jillian shares how she came up with the idea for Hitlist, what her day-to-day life is like running Hitlist, and we also discuss why she considers travel as one of the best side hacks for peace building. If you're curious about starting a tech company and the travel space, we think you will love this show. And if you enjoy this episode, please share it with a friend. If you have feedback for us or ideas for future shows, you can reach us at podcast at IWantHerJob.com. And please go to IWantHerJob.com to sign up for our emails. Before we start today's show, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Best Western. Attention business travelers, did you know Best Western Rewards has some of the lowest free night levels in the industry? Go get rewarded at more than 4,100 locations in the world by visiting bestwesternrewards.com. I am the founder and CEO of Hitlist, which is an app that alerts you when there are cheap flights to places you want to go. Cool. And how did you come up with this idea? Um, well, I am one of those people who is always the travel agent for all of my friends. You might have a friend like that as well. Um, and, um, so I've always loved finding cheap flights and I actually lived in Istanbul for a number of years and all my friends promised they were going to come and visit me and no one did, uh, for the first year. And so I started sending them flight deals when I saw them, you know, oh my gosh, it's $500 round trip from New York to Istanbul. This is a great deal. You should come right now. And it worked really, really well. So I would send like five of these emails and four people would book tickets to Istanbul. And then people started saying, uh, oh, you know, I have to go to London at some point. Can you let me know when there are cheap flights to London? Can you let me know when there are cheap flights to San Francisco? Um, And so I started, uh, I ended up writing a script that went and scraped kayak every morning. It just did like a hundred searches for the destination my friends were watching and and then I would email them when I found something good. And, you know, so it was, it started very manually. And then at a certain point I just said, well, clearly we should make this something that anyone can use and build a self-service tool. And that was, that was the beginning. I love that. That's just like the ideal story where you're solving a problem you had and you tested it and people needed it. And, and so you actually can code because you said you wrote a script. I just learned on Code Academy. Um, which is a website, it's free, and codeacademy.com. And I also, but I mean, 
I also had a lot of very patient people. I found that the development community is insanely generous. If you, you know, ask intelligent questions, whether it's on Stack Overflow or even I just ended up getting connected to a lot of developers. And I remember at one point talking to like a friend's brother's friend who I had no connection with, had never met in person. And he spent like an hour and a half talking me through a coding issue. And I was like, why are you doing this for a complete stranger? And he's like, oh, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, you know, I I found people were really um, willing to help if you just asked and if you were trying to work on something earnestly. That is so fascinating. So I'm curious, how long did it take you from learning to actually getting that done? I mean, I think that particular script I wrote in a couple days. uh, But I mean, I I should also say I, I had help um I that particular script uh, I had help from a friend um who I met at a hackathon in Turkey mm-hmm. um and you know I, I think all software development is somewhat collaborative sure. uh but I I want to give credit where it's due Got it. so to Kaiser anyway <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, we see, know how you got that idea. So what was the journey? So you had the script and then how did you go to making it um, launch as a, as a company and an app? Well, there, there's a long winding road for sure. Um, and the other part of the story I didn't quite tell was I was actually working on a different idea uh, with another friend while I was doing this. So we were working on something else in the travel space that we called Trip Common, And it was this flight search engine where you could say, um, you know, I'm in Istanbul, my best friend's in New York, we want to meet up somewhere, what's the cheapest place in the middle we both could get to, um, which is ultimately a really small niche use case that we found not a lot of people, first of all, how complex it was to make it and how many people really wanted it were uh, you know, the overlap between those two did not make sense as a business. But um, so, you know, we were all already working on something in the travel space and it wasn't really working out. And so we thought, okay, you know, what else could we do? And that I mentioned this sort of little flight alert newsletter thing that I'd been doing on the side. And and we decided to try and turn that into a mobile app. It was right when Tinder was really popular. Mm-hmm. Um, so we sketched out this basically Tinder for cities. So, um, you know, Amsterdam, do you want to go? Yes or no. And if you said yes, then it got added to your thing and you got alerts when there were two flights to Amsterdam. Um, so it, uh, ultimately that was a really sort of fun first step, but wasn't very sticky. People wouldn't come back to it. And so, um, we kept on iterating on the design and and changing all that. And, it just kind of grew from there. Got it. I love that. And so tell us a little about your career milestones um, before. What what kind of work did you do before uh, Hitlist came to be? Um, I've, I've had an eclectic career. I My first real job, I as a kid, always was doing random projects. I, I bred parakeets and sold them to pet stores. Whoa. I... Um, had a little singing ensemble and we would rent ourselves out to parties, especially around the holidays. Um, and we, it was actually pretty good money. Um, I worked as an opera singer for a year in Paris. I was when I was 18, 19. Um, and then I went to college. Uh, and after college, my, I taught English in China, worked as a freelance journalist. I was just desperately sampling 
different careers. And, you know, I was making just enough to survive on, basically. And I uh, eventually ended up in this sort of consulting job in Turkey. And I had all these side projects as usual. I was running like a party promotion series. And um, I thought about leaving my job and starting, I was thinking of doing like a events listing guide for Istanbul because there wasn't much in English language. There was a lot of, there were a lot of great Turkish resources, but not English language. And I actually think one of the interesting career milestones when I look back is when I, when I went to quit. So I I talked to the CEO of my company. I was in this analyst job and I said, I'm sorry, actually at that point, it was still in my first position at the company. I was an executive assistant. Um, which I'd just basically taken because it was, it paid good money. And I wasn't thinking of it as a really, as a career step, Mm -hmm. but um, ultimately because I was working directly with this executive, I was actually getting really incredible insight and training on what it's like to be an executive. Um, And so I look back on that and I think that was actually more valuable than I gave it credit for. Uh, but then I went to the CEO of the company and I said, I'm going to quit. I'm going to start this arts promotion company. And he said, you know, okay, you can quit now if you want, but let me tell you what I quit my first job when I was 23, which is how old I was at the time. And I started this company. And for nine years, I didn't know if I was going to have enough money in the bank. I went gray (laughs) prematurely. I was always stressed and, you know, the tides turned and ultimately the company is worth like $50 million now. And, you know, I think he's quite happy with how life has turned out. He said, but I never got to be a 20 something, you know, I never got to learn and experience a lot of these things that I saw with my peers and it could have just as easily not working worked out. Mm-hmm. So he said, you know, I'm giving you this opportunity. We'll put you in a, a different role at the company. And, I think you should stick around here for a little bit and just, you know, make some money and put some savings away. And in a couple of years, maybe then think about starting something. And I went home and I was like, Oh no, I'm definitely going to quit. And then I sort of thought about it over the weekend and I was like, okay, well maybe I'll stick with it for another six months or something like that. And ultimately I, I stuck with the company. I was in house at the company for another six months. And then I, started a, a freelance consulting business out of that experience. And I was able to make a lot of money and of money that I was able to bootstrap the beginning of Hitless development. Um, and I'm really glad I had that experience. So I think it's, it's easy in this day and age to see all of these 22 year old starting companies and feel like, Oh my gosh, I'm 26. I'm over the hill or I'm 30. I'm over the hill. But I'm really glad that I had a couple of years experience of working for a bigger company, of making a regular paycheck, of being able to pay off my debts and put some money away and have that security to build on as I launched into my company. And actually, I think that's borne out in statistics. There's a a big study of startups that Noam Wasserman, who's a Harvard Business School professor, did. And I think the average age of an entrepreneur is 34. Mm-hmm. Um So I think the media might skew things and it feels like everything happens when you're really young, but I'm glad I started a little later. So 
I mean, you didn't just have bake sales. Like you're an incredibly entrepreneurial, creative person. Like Rich you say braising parakeets and opera singing. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> um, yeah. So. I usually get to this question later, but because I can already tell you're, you know, unusual, tell us about your like early influences, how you grew up and maybe a little bit about your educational background because, um, yeah, I mean, you're definitely somebody who I think does a lot. You have a lot of stuff going on. So I'd just like to hear how more about how you got to how you are. I have a pretty vanilla background. I grew up in the suburbs of New York City. Uh, my parents were always very supportive of my random entrepreneurial whims. Um, and I give them a lot of credit for that because I think a lot of people, if you'd gone to them at age 18 and said, I don't want to go to Harvard, I think I'm going to go and try and move to France and see what kind of career I can build there. My parents were just they said, are you asking us for money? And I said, no, I, I have enough saved up that I can make it on my own, I think. And they said, okay, well, I mean, you're 18. Do what you're going to do. Maybe we'll come and visit you. And that's sort of so indicative of the attitude they've always had. They said, okay, well, you know, as long as you're not making any, as my, my dad memorably put it, he said, well, you haven't effed up yet. So, <laughs> you know, do what you're going to do. And I think I see a lot of, you know, we see a lot of helicopter parents and yeah. that type of thing. But thankfully, you know, mine were always pretty hands off. And sorry, I shouldn't even say that more than hands off. They were supportive, you know, emotionally. And certainly when I was younger, financially, they, they helped me. So how did you end up selling parakeets? There was a pet store that I really loved going to in northern Michigan. And I talked to the... um the owner and it was so bizarre. It was a pet store in the back of a hunting bait and tackle store. So it was basically like how to kill animals up front and then how to raise animals at the back. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a Michigan thing, I guess. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I just thought that this pet store owner was really cool and I would talk to him a lot. And then I ended up buying my first breeding pair from him. Yeah, interesting. And were your parents also entrepreneurial or is it something that just that kind of how you are? My parents are, my mom's a teacher and my dad is an accountant. <laughs> and uh, that might sound kind of uh, bland, I suppose. But first of all, they're both brilliant at what they do. And secondly, they had very eclectic careers themselves, mm -hmm. especially in their 20s and early 30s before they settled into what they've ended up having as their careers. And so, and my mom was also a stay-at-home mom for uh, about 15 years mm -hmm. in the uh, broad chunk of my childhood. So um, there have been, yeah, they, while they didn't build businesses specifically, I think we, how do we say this? Um, They've always had entrepreneurial endeavors on the side. Got it. Um, and do you have siblings? Two older brothers. Are they are they also doing uh, kind of creative entrepreneurial stuff? One brother is uh, Edward Morris is a very accomplished set designer. He works. He has shows all over the U.S. and some internationally. Actually, um, he was reviewed like three times in the New York Times last year. 
where I'm very, very proud of him. And, uh, and my other brother was a lawyer who turned into a YouTube entrepreneur. So he is also pursuing his own entrepreneurial endeavors. He has a channel called the More Freedom Foundation. His name is Robert Morris. And he creates video segments on political issues that are quite interesting. And he's a champion of independent media. Such a curious mind. You've done all these things. And now you find that building a business, running a startup is is what you love the most. Is that right? Yes. Cool. And so what's the most challenging part right now of, of growing Hitlist? Is it the growth of the marketing operations? Where do you struggle the most and what do you enjoy the most? I enjoy the fact that I am learning every day. I struggle with this being the first time that I've done a lot of these things. I look back sometimes and say, you know, I realize if I do start a business again, I mean, ideally hit list is the business to end all businesses and is a hundred billion dollar company. I do it until I retire. Um, I mean, that's one ideal. There are many, but, uh, if I end up starting another business for whatever reason, I know that I will be so much better at it for all of the experiences that I've gotten. You know, I just have done a lot of learning by doing, I, didn't go to business school and I reflect that sometimes actually there is a lot of good education that comes from the case studies and, and that environment. Um, I would say the most overwhelming challenge is always allocation of resources. So um, making sure that we're spending our time and money productively. And that sounds super general, but I think when you're an entrepreneur, you realize quite how ruthless you have to be with your time. And it's always interesting to say, you know, you have the ultimate flexibility. You get to call the shots. You can decide to go down path A, B, or C. Um, But you need to get better at identifying which path is going to return the most Mm -hmm. and not getting distracted by trying to go down all three paths at the same time. Yeah. And so just... There are a million examples that I could provide, but speaking generally, I find, you know, prioritization is something that I feel like I'm getting much better at and I'm really excited about that, but I've definitely learned by doing. Definitely. And so just like how big is your team? Because I think a lot of the times um, we read about startups and, but nobody really knows, like, what is it like? How big is a team? You know, sometimes there's a small team and you have everybody doing the work of marketing sales operations. Um, So can you give us any insight into how big you are, where you are in your growth? We are six people full time, but that's, uh, I feel a tiny fraction of, our broader network. I'm very proud of the fact we've built up a number of contributors, whether they're advisors or contractors or people who are sort of somehow in our network who help amplify the work that we do. So I feel like we're able to leverage a much bigger team than just the full-time crew. Got it. And for people who, you know, they, they dream of kind of working for a startup like yours, but um, aren't developers, what advice would you give them? Like, what areas do you see that, you know, startups really need people and where there's up and coming jobs? Um, like, mm-hmm. I think there's that uh, we shouldn't 
sort of have this huge cult around engineers because there are other important things. But I would also say that if you're if you have time to develop skills, that you should take at least some introductory coding classes because it changes how you interact with more technical people. It immediately just helps level you up. So you can take these things online for free, like Code Academy. You can participate in hackathons. And that kind of knowledge is something that is so important to the way that startups operate. A lot of the culture and operating practices have just come directly from software development. Got it. And and so there's so much competition in apps. What do you think most people don't know about building um, a successful um, app-based startup? Well, I think you're right. There is a lot of competition, but there's also ultimately, how do I say this? There aren't that many good apps out there. And it's important to not get caught up by, oh my gosh, this app just raised $20 million in funding and just got a ton of press it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have staying power. In the years that we've been around, we've had companies raise millions of dollars doing things close to what we're doing. And a lot of them don't last because when you raise that much money, you have incredible pressure from investors and they need to see returns and then you, and you end up having, I've seen companies fail because of co-founder fallouts, investor relations, all this type of thing. I think, Building a fundamental business is uh, one that, you know, has a path to monetization and uh, has a very close relationship with its users and reacts to them and makes sure to build what they're actually asking for rather than what you sort of just out there dream that someone like you might like. I actually think that's a fundamental problem most entrepreneurs have is they build something for themselves. Mm -hmm. And not realizing that they're probably a pretty exceptional person. I think you have to build something for the market. I sometimes say that we have 1.2 million bosses, and that's all of our customers, all of our users, rather than you know saying that I'm the boss and I'm going to dictate how things go. Sure. Can you um, name a few strategies um, that you've decided on that have really helped grow HitList? I think... Continuous experimentation is important. So we haven't, you know, we'll hypothesize something that, you know, building an Android app is going to be important for our user growth or building this particular feature is going to be something that's going to increase leverage this much. Um, you know, not getting so bogged down and sticking with the same strategy for an extended period of time, but having, we generally operate on about three month cycles hmm. of we're going to focus on this and we're going to try and make it work. And it's, it's imperfect because sometimes there are things that are going to need more than three months to, to develop correctly. But more often than not, you can get a clear idea of how well something's going to perform in that period of time. And if it's not performing to the degree that you want, you move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, it's, and it's tough sometimes because you think, oh, we invest in all this. And if we just invest, you know, 10% more time, we'll finally get the results we were expecting. And I've learned that in many cases, it's better to just move on and uh, 
to concentrate on doing fewer things and doing them well rather than to necessarily um, sort of stick with the strategy. Sure. And I, I can imagine you have to be really mentally strong, right, to get over things and um, when you're running a startup. So when you think about it, are there, what kind of philosophies, mindset, or habits help you push past like fears you have or insecurities when things don't go the way you want them, when you're growing slower than expected, when, you know, somebody quits? <laughs> yeah. I, I won't say that there aren't emotional ups and downs, but I also just think a sense of perspective is important. And partially this comes from my, maybe my time as a journalist or living and working in some you know, developing countries, and I did some work in conflict zones. I was in Afghanistan and Syria. And ultimately, all of this feels so, um, I don't know, so idyllic. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean to say that I don't care if things don't go well. I'm incredibly focused on making sure that this is as successful as it can be. And I, I wouldn't be doing this instead of, I'm doing this because I think it's important. But ultimately, you know, even if hit list fails, I have a roof over my head. I have my health. I um, have access to clean water and I live in America. I, I, I don't find that much to complain about. Um, I, I see a lot of people get so wrapped up in their head about their sense of success or failure. And I think lose sight of the fact that, you know, they're going to be okay no matter what. Um, yeah, I, I, don't mean to sound unempathetic. No, no, I completely yeah. agree with you. And that's why I think it's um, travel is so important to get that perspective because we do get caught up 100%. in this bubble. Um, mm -hmm. And so tell us about, so I see you worked as an intern for CNN in Istanbul. Is that the journalism work that you just referred to? Yeah, that was some of it. So I was a freelance journalist and then I worked briefly for CNN and then I have continued to do a very, very occasional contributor piece here and there. And tell us about your involvement and work in that region. Like, um, like kind of what, how did it change you? Like, how do you think it influenced the person you are today? I think it made me incredibly grateful for all of the things that we have, the institutions, the, um, for however much of a crazy time we're going through in our political cycle right now. And it, there are some very bad things happening. I think ultimately we still have much more resilient institutions than, some of the other countries I've worked in. Um, but it also impressed me that we are not, I think, um, we're not perfect in many ways. I see this sense of experimentation and openness and work ethic in a lot of the places that I traveled and lived that I don't necessarily see in the U.S. I think there's a lot of hubris here. So, it definitely inspired me and, and continues to. I try and spend a little bit of time in whether it's China or the Middle East um, or, or Russia. I try to spend some time there periodically just to remind myself what's out there. I saw a very interesting tweet recently about um, the sense of privilege. I wish I could recall it off the top of my head, but the gist was basically, um, you know, we have people in the third world who now have access to all the same information that people in the West have had for a while, and they don't expect their government to take care of them or anyone to take care of them. They're just here to get work done. And I think that's a very valuable thing to remember. 
and uh, you know, the U.S. isn't necessarily going to maintain its edge forever, and we need to be both, you know, cognizant of how much privilege we have, and also uh, work to earn it. I think that is so true, and I've been thinking a lot about that, like the fact that anyone anywhere with a with Wi-Fi can get right can take classes if they mm-hmm. have the discipline and the motivation from the top universities, right, in the U.S. And so it just takes people who are motivated and hungry enough to, like, right, they can teach themselves through Code Academy from anywhere and yep. build, and they just, but they just need access. The thing is, right, those networks that that makes a big difference um but i I think eventually it'll open up more and allow other people access to those networks absolutely um um, are there so what what kind of resources do you refer to use read blogs magazines that helps you keep learning and staying on top of the industry and um and keep your skill set um increasing i read hacker news pretty religiously so that's uh news.ycombinator.com and that's, I feel, one of the old school communities. It has its issues, but it's a really reliable source of what the developer tech community is thinking about. Mm-hmm. And I'm fairly active there. I love Product Hunt, as I'm sure many people do. And I use Nuzzle, uh, which is a an app that aggregates, you can connect your Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. And it aggregates links that you, that people that you follow or that your friends are sharing. I found that to be a really incredible news source because it's filtered by, it's like my own personal editorial page. Uh, It's filtered by the people whose opinions I care about. And so I use that as probably my main source of news. Yeah, that's cool. I've never heard of that one. I'm going to try it. Um, and if you had more time, are there other causes or areas where you'd, you'd want to be more involved? It sounds like you're somebody who's always had a side thing, but I'm not sure if you have time for a side project right now. I don't have much time for side projects. I did take some time to go to Gaza uh, in December, went with an organization called Gaza Sky Geeks, and I taught some classes on entrepreneurship and product development there it's a really incredible accelerator that's working in a place that has you know 40 percent unemployment pretty much no mobility very limited access to capital and i think it's just one of the perfect places for software outsourcing as a source of jobs and way for people to improve their lives that doesn't involve um you know having more disgruntled unemployed people who decide to get involved in the conflict instead um i think some Gaza Sky Geeks is doing great work uh, building a real economy there. And so that was very satisfying. And I was able to get over there because I was speaking at a conference that paid for my travel. So it was sort of, you know, I was able to tack it on, which was very nice. And I also think the political sphere is really interesting. And I've been participating a little bit in helping fundraise for candidates that I think are interesting but I see that all as, I, I think actually it's it's important to ensure whether it's something around the lines of net neutrality or in the travel space around consumer rules, around what you need to show for fair airfare display and all that type of stuff. I think it's actually important to have political connections and an eye into the political sphere. So 
I do see that as somewhat complementary and not as much a distraction. I, I sadly don't have any side businesses right now. I mean, I, I by choice don't have any side businesses right now because Hitlist deserves my full attention. Yeah, and and I can see how you, um, you know, the work that you've done. There's a lot of social kind of awareness and and justice, and so I think that makes sense that you're doing travel because, like you said, getting getting to those places, right? It's the the number one way to get that perspective. Absolutely. Yeah, I sometimes say that travel is the sort of side hack to peace building that not a lot of people give it credit for, but travel is one of those things that. Uh, profits from peace and development, you know, uh, when there are, when there's instability, when there are terrorist attacks, that's terrible for tourism. And so, you know, the opposite is, you know, obviously people will invest in security and will invest in building a place that there aren't disgruntled people, um, for the sake of having a better tourism economy. And there are all sorts of other knock-on things. You know, it creates all these great jobs at all ends of the economic spectrum, unskilled and skilled, incentivizes people to stay in school and learn different languages and um, redistributes a lot of wealth. Yeah, I could go on. <laughs> no, no, I think that is it's so important. It's such an important um, topic. So thank you. Anything else you'd like to share with us before we end? I think that uh, you should download Hitlist and that uh, take more trips. I think there's a ton of evidence out there. It's good for you. It's good for the world. And I couldn't say enough how much travel has impacted my own personal journey. journey. So um, if you, uh, in the spirit of the title of the podcast, if you want my job, start out by traveling. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for sharing your time. Thank you. Thank you.